Welcome back. My name is Zach Elliott, and welcome back to the Deep Fade. As always, I'm joined by Raven. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. How old are you today? Uh, it was yesterday. yesterday, but it was 22. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank are you doing anything else fun this week? Uh, tonight, I'll probably go get a few drinks with Oliver, my co-host for the F1 pod, and then another buddy of ours. Cool. But pretty pretty chill night, just like how last night was. So Nice. Well, happy birthday, buddy. Thank um, you. Thank you. Today, we're just going to get into some of the NFL games from the weekend and then uh, ask a few burning questions for each of the teams that played and then move on to some of the action around the NBA this last few days and then uh, looking forward to what we are looking forward to and scared for over the next few months of the NBA season now that we're rounding Thanksgiving and heading towards Christmas. But without further ado... Last night, Bears 12, Vikings 10. I don't know why this goddamn team is on primetime again. Field started the game. I think if you get like those ESPN push notifications where it says after first quarter, you know, Bears 3, Vikings 0. I think after the first quarter, it was it was Fields was 10 for 10 for 110, and Dobbs had zero yards and just looking at that, oh, he plays great. Even in the first quarter where he was ostensibly killing it to start, I was intensely frustrated with pocket management and with Eberflus's full D and B on the table play decisions that make no sense. Make no sense. He's going for it on fourth and ten with however long left in the first quarter. I, it, it doesn't matter. It's like forty seconds left in the first and. I, it's kind of within Santos's range, but I, I just don't really see the value. You're giving it to a midfield, and that was before they got four interceptions and thought they could defend. Whatever. They also got a penalty for too many men in the huddle, which I forgot was a thing. That was probably the ugliest one I've seen since the the snowplow game, however many years ago, where it was the Pats won three zero and they had to cut out a patch of snow. To kick the, yeah, it's to cut the You lines. know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, where they had to like mark the lines every 10 yards so you could see the field actually. Right. They were talking about it on the broadcast how Fields has the longest time to throw in the NFL and it didn't get any shorter last night. The main question that I would have for the Bears, and the one that I'm most scared of, is if anyone on the staff survives. Because it, Adam Schefter uh, said on, on McAfee, I think, that he thought anywhere between seven and ten coaches could be could be fired in this round of the coaching carousel this offseason because we already have two with uh, Josh McDaniels and then Rhett getting fired from the Panthers. And if he's saying that, I don't see how Eberflus isn't one of them. Not that it's not deserved, but unless they literally win the next five games and somehow sneak into the seventh seed, which would be baffling for sure, but... I guess not impossible. That's really the only way I think he saves his job because as, I'll get to the Panthers, but if you land that number one pick or that number two pick and you're able to take a transformative guy, get him a new coach, and I think the McCaskies are too age-addled to do it, but swap out the GM too. 
because you need a fresh start for someone like that. That's just what I think. On the other side, I think Dobbs looked terrible, and he's and it wasn't like he's throwing lame ducks everywhere and it's because of his lack of arm strength or anything or talent that he's not be able to perform. I think the Bears' defense has just gotten a lot better. Uh, some of that is a credit to Iberflus. Again, I, he was a good, eh, good-ish good DC with the Colts. I think that he has a future in the league doing that more, but otherwise, I don't know. Jalen Johnson had a crazy game. I think Dobbs remains the QB after the bye, but I think a game like this kind of cements what Vikings fans should be hoping for in the offseason, that as much as we love the alopecia assassin, like, this is not someone that you're going to build the next couple of years around. Don't make it another Case Keenum situation where you have one great season and the Minneapolis miracle, but you hang on to a guy that ultimately does not really raise your ceiling. Next, the, uh, the Packers. Oh, moving to the Thanksgiving slate, actually. Packers 29, Lions 22. It was a weird game from the jump where the Packers got out early and then unlike against the Bears, the Lions defense couldn't or the Lions offense couldn't catch back up. Since I believe week three or four, they have the worst uh, EPA allowed on defense in the entire league, meaning that by all catch-all metrics, they're allowing the most points uh, added per play in the entire league. And honestly, as good as they've been, I, w- I wonder if the Lions' D is too bad to keep them from winning a playoff game. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson kind of reminds me of the Jadavion Clowney type, where he might get you 8 to 11 sacks per season. He started off really hot and then has been slow statistically. I think he sets a good run edge, but he's not going to be this kind of premier pass rusher like a Garrett or a TJ Watt or a Micah Parsons that changes a game, especially a playoff game. And then like Ali McNeil, their big nose tackle up front, sets a tone on the interior. Their Cam Sutton was getting toasted by Packers receivers that I might have heard of once. I mean, like, you know it better than I do. Did you know who some of the guys catching passes on Thanksgiving were? No. No, but they were toasting them. They really were. Like, I feel like it was they were just running routes better. I think the Packers played more as a team where, like, last week with the Lions versus the Bears, it was it was a close game. This game kind of felt similar in the sense that it really was kind of iffy until the last, I would say, quarter of that game. But I feel like the Lions... Defense is needing to improve or at least just play better as a whole together, like you said. Um, But going off to the next, like, the Packers' offense, I don't think is going to be able to survive against any good defense. So making it to the playoffs, like, I I do still think the Lions come out of the division is... Especially with the Vikings losing. Yeah. Yeah. I think... I think Love is better than I was giving him credit for a couple weeks ago, where just by uh, PFF grades, he the last four games, three of them have been his best of the season. I think him being behind Rodgers for as long as he was does make us feel... Because Rodgers did the same thing. I was going to say, Rodgers did the exact same thing so we with expect Favre a, yeah. and the stats 
through the first few games with Rodgers and Love are the exact same. Yeah. Same record, same yards, same completion percentage, touchdowns. Like we're given. Well, it's a different era of offense where just scaling it. True. True. It should be a little better, but I think we're not giving him enough credit for essentially being a rookie. Being a rookie without having weapons like how Rodgers had when he came in. Yeah, he doesn't have he doesn't a, have a driver or a Nelson. Yeah, yeah. and then yep. a young Cobb eventually. Mm-hmm. Like Aaron Rodgers just had such a good receiving core that I think really helped him when he was younger. And I don't know. I think Love and he's he's doing what we ask all rookie quote unquote rookie QBs to do, and that's improve. I think the thing that makes it hand wringing is they have to decide whether or not to pick up his fifth year option this offseason and if he plays like he has the last few games down the stretch that becomes a much easier uh much easier decision and then you give him another year next year and then you can decide whether or not you actually want to extend him but i think he needs to keep playing like he has uh commanders 10 cowboys 45 uh took commanders 10 and a half that was a mistake uh after this game in the last few deck has been playing like more of an MVP candidate he, uh, against the, uh, I mean, against the Giants and against the Commanders last week. He's been dicing up people for weeks. CD has been playing like a top five receiver in the league. And I think that if the Eagles had lost two or three more games, and then I know Lamar's still up there in odds, but without Andrews and how he played last week, I don't think he's in it. I sincerely think that if the Eagles were what eight and three instead of ten and one that it would be a really tight race between Dak and Hertz and Mahomes maybe even Hertz further behind without as many wins uh if their defense De- Deron Bland is amazing five pick sixes seven picks on the year it's in it's crazy like Dak did play really well like you said, but he's, I do he's th- also boosted by a good team around him, kind of like Hurts is. That's the thing is, I think that defense is way a lot better than they have been in previous years. So I do think it's more complete for sure. It it definitely is more complete, and Dak now has an actual team that he can take. But the question still stands: is like, how are they going to do against a good team like the Eagles or the Forty Nine? Like. The Chiefs, like any of those teams that have a better defense, it's just going to become more of an issue, in my opinion. I, th- I mean, yeah, there was, uh, it went around that most of the teams that they've beaten this year have been under 500. Uh, and that they're, and they got beat by the Cardinals. That was more of a fluke. I think the Cardinals are, are better than we were giving them credit for at that point. They're still really bad. So I don't, I wouldn't pick them in a playoff game against an Eagles or uh, or even necessarily a Lions, I think that would be tight, depending on if it was at home or away. I think that might change the answer. But I think Dak is playing the best he has, especially the best that he has since his ankle injury. And I think if the Cowboys... I think if they win out, which their schedule has enough on it that I don't think that's going to happen, but if they did, I think Dak might win. I don't know why Ron Rivera is still the coach on the other side, and he's obviously one of those 7 to 10 that's going to be gone. And then how starting next year, he's been a big fantasy guy, which makes him talked about more than he probably deserves. He's, he's a one-read-and-panic guy. He has a good arm. I think that 
he could become like the next Fitzpatrick, if nothing else, where he's able to come in and put up enough stats to keep himself on the field. And I could definitely see him in five years having a little renaissance on the Raiders or the Seahawks or something where it's like, oh, you know who's kind of good? And then he gets a $10 million contract for a year or two, and he turns back into a pumpkin, whatever. He's not... He's a guy that's going to stick around, but I think if they're walking into it next year, it's because Harris and that ownership group wasn't able to get someone better. 49ers 31, Seahawks 13. 49ers... It was tighter than the final score suggests, especially late. The Seahawks were driving, but they kind of got smacked around. The 49ers, I, w- I wonder if they're prohibitive favorites. I think they definitely look like the best team in the NFL, but I kind of feel the same way as with them as I feel about the Ravens, where there's this ever-present threat of injury that's kind of not there for other contenders. Because a lot of the time, and this is the same thing as any other sport, or even fake sports if you play fantasy football, at the end of the year, a lot of the time, the team that wins is the team who has, I mean, having the best players helps, but having the most healthy players also helps. If you go back to, what was it, in 06, the White Sox won the World Series, and it was kind of just because their entire team didn't get hurt for six months, and sometimes that's kind of all you need. So if they're able to manage their stars well and keep all four of the big guys on the field and Purdy continues to lead the league in passer rating, I I would not pick against them. If any of those guys are out, it becomes sketchier. And then without Hufanga, the top of their defense is going to be a little weaker. But I think the only teams that that's going to matter against are the ones that they would be playing in the Super Bowl. The Seahawks... I, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs at this point. Gino being the starter next year looks shakier. The contract, I mean, all NFL contracts are fake. They got enough money that I think they're going to stick with him just to give him, just to play out the string because he's good enough to win you a few games. And then if they continue to build the offensive line, although it's been pretty good, and uh, fill out the defense, adding a little Williams has helped. But beefing up the front seven there and getting someone younger than Bobby Wagner, who I saw was graded as one of the, I think a few weeks ago, the best middle linebacker in the entire NFL. This far as according to PFF, I don't think he covers the pass well enough to justify that, but whatever. I think that they're going to go into next year with Gino, but I think they're one of the teams that might, be bringing in a Fields or a Trey Lance behind him just to say, hey, I know we got a three-year extension, but we're bringing in someone young because you're in your 30s, and I think we both know that he's not a a Brady or a, a Rodgers that's going to extend his playing prime into his late 30s. Dolphins 34, Jets 13. Do you like the idea of a Black Friday game? I personally really liked it. It I don't know, like, Black Friday for my family is especially not for the men's side as much as, like, that is whatever, but, like... Well, that's, uh... Okay, it's just how it... normative, but okay. It, it is, but this is how it is for at least my family. Bigot. <laughs> I think it gave Black Friday something to do, like, the family something to do that aren't doing anything, especially, like, I don't know, some... 
families don't go shopping on Black Friday and just like to stay in and do stuff around the house. So I think it does just give, you know, an extra. Did you ever do that when you were younger? Go Black Friday shopping? Yeah. Did you? Never. Okay. I think once I sat in a line at midnight after Thanksgiving to go and get some, it was probably something like a PlayStation. I don't remember. But I haven't in years. Like, I haven't actually waited outside or been like, oh, it's Black Friday. I need to hit the, re- the like, brick-and-mortar retail. And this is the other thing, too, is, like, everything used to be actually on sale. Now everything. Did you see the thing where it was the, the Target signs and it was like, yeah. oh, Black Friday sale. And then they take out the little uh, paper that they insert into there and it's the exact same sale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at, where it's like these sales are essentially fake now to just draw people in. Well, sales is it's always a marketing tactic, but yeah, at least it used to be on Black Friday that you show up there and it's you would actually save a little bit money. Yeah, online you can still do it, but even then they kind of shyster you where half the deals that aren't listed as Black Friday deals on Amazon are actually better. Back to the Black Tangent. The Dolphins. Laid it on them. Tim Boyle throwing that 99-yard pick six to end the half. I, I can't remember the last time I saw that. It's just massively depressing. I don't really – I don't know why they're starting him instead of Trevor Simeon, who's at least started NFL games, but maybe I'm, – I'm not in the building. It just seems like a bad idea. I don't – I think the Dolphins' D has gotten better, and I think Jalen Ramsey especially has rounded into form a lot. I don't know – I'm skeptical that they can hold up against the Chiefs, the Ravens, and the Jags of the world in the playoffs just because coming into the last stretch of games, they were not graded out very well and were not performing up to snuff. Now, I think Holland himself, I mean, I know he ran back the the pick, but he's a good player in his own right. They did just lose Jalen Phillips, which makes me even more skeptical that this line is going to hold up against good offensive lines like the Ravens and the Chiefs. So I'm if the Dolphins are going into someone's building like the Chiefs or the Ravens, I wouldn't pick them just because I think their defenses are good enough to gum up the works for Hill and them. And I don't think that their offense will be able to match it just because those teams are good enough in their own right. I don't think the Jets care if Rodgers is able to come back at this point. I think they've lost enough games that it might be detrimental. You might just want to keep him on the sideline. Keep him on the sideline to make make sure he doesn't get any more hurt. He comes into next season fresh, and you have the chance to draft someone who can help him for however long he's able to be effective. Because, again, he's going to be 41 next year, right? I think So, so. How realistically can you expect him? It was already like sketchy that he was going to perform well enough this year to get him into the playoffs, just coming off the season before in Green Bay where he had hurt his thumb and there was a lot of external factors at the hubbub coming in from the offseason in Green Bay. But I don't, I don't think it's a good idea. Because even if you bring him back and it's like, take that, lib doctors. Like, who are you really, like, who, what are you trying to prove at that point? Are you going to run the table and then make the playoffs at 10 and 7? Like, good luck. 
You're 40 years old, and even if he did really tear his Achilles like that and is able to come back, he cannot move as well. I don't care if you're able to play football on it. There's no chance you're able to run on an Achilles effectively after four months. So I think it, it, it just behooves them to keep him on the sideline, even if he can miraculously actually make a return. New Orleans 15, Falcons 24. I think there's a decent chance that neither of these coaches are employed come next year. Dennis Allen's in his second year post John Payton, so I think it's more likely. And I also think if I had to pick the rest of the way, I might take them over the Falcons to win the division. I think the division winner is just going to stay, regardless of how dog doo-doo this division ends up being. But Arthur Smith's in year three and has continued the streak of not playing his damn players the way that he should. I'm not sure Kyle Pitts is still alive after going two for 22 again. I Football is different than basketball and baseball where when you see the raw talent on the field, especially from skill position players, unless they have some major deficiency that keeps them off the field, they should be good. The Falcons QB situation has been a mess the whole year, and that's a big reason why and it wasn't good last year. But Pitts put up 1,000 yards in his rookie season. He's already showed it, and he hasn't gotten worse. His knee problems have been off and on. It was worse earlier in the season. It's not like he can't play. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. I would fire him only for that. New Orleans, I think, you have, again, you have no incentive to miss the playoffs, so... They're going to keep playing Carr. I would play Winston just for the fun factor, but I know they won't. Steelers 16, Bengals 10. Matt Canada is innocent. Not actually, but 400 yards in the first game after 58 straight games of being under 400 yards is a bad look. And Pickett looked marginally better, but I think... Don't get me wrong. Matt Canada is... Bad at his job. Was bad at his job for the last few years. But I'm I'm pretty out on Pickett. Because you take away the, the limitations of the scheme that you were operating under before. And he still has not showed enough this far into his second season to inspire confidence. I've, I'm big on the idea that the good quarterbacks, the actually good ceiling raiser, you can win a Super Bowl with quarterbacks, you know by the end of the second year. Barring injury, barring a coach like Urban Meyer being in there, absolutely ruining it, or Frank Reich for Bryce Young this year, after two years, you know. And so if, like, I'm really skeptical of Bryce at this point, but I'm willing to give him a chance because he had such a terrible coaching situation. Pick it, yes, Matt Canada, but also Mike Tomlin and then the Steelers' infrastructure. have had. They have two great receivers, and now Jalen Warren looks really explosive. I I have lost it. He's definitely I think he's definitely gonna start next year, but I think there's a real chance that they draft someone in the second or third round, like a, a Bo Nix or a Spencer Rattner Rattler. I don't know who's gonna drop that far. But yeah, I think that they're gonna bring in someone for competition. Bengals, they they're not gonna win much the rest of the way. Jake Browning might be okay, but there's no point. They should just focus on trying to retain T. Higgins, but good luck. Uh, Jaguars 24, Texans 21. For the next three years, 
Five years. Take out contracts. Would you rather have Lawrence or Stroud? Personally, I still would want Trevor Lawrence. I don't think I've seen enough from Stroud to really feel like he's that much better than Trevor Lawrence. But I think the last few games have re-inspired confidence in Lawrence. And so I would probably agree. But if you did bring in the contract situation of it where Stroud is a rookie and it's already a question, I would probably say Stroud. I, that being said, I don't really think they have a chance in a wild card game just because that offensive line going against playoff defenses and schemes and intensity, I don't think it's going to hold up as it has during the regular season. And Tank Dell and Nico Collins are good stories. Tank Dell especially being a rookie himself, but going up against the Ravens or someone like that in a wild card game, I think they might get smoked. I know that they were really competitive earlier in the season with the Ravens, but as they've gotten more solid throughout the regular season, so has everyone else. And then looking at the rest of the Jags schedule, I think there's a real chance that they get the one seed. They were... During Sunday, as different teams won and uh, the first seed jumped positioning a few times where it was the Chiefs and then it was the Jags and then it ended up being the Ravens, their next six is the Bengals, the Browns with P.J. Walker or Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the Ravens, let's call that an L, the Buccaneers, the Panthers, and the Titans. So... I mean, the only concerning one there is probably the Ravens, right? And the Browns' defense can gum you up in a way that even if their offense is terrible, it might it might be funky. I think if they're able to win that Ravens game, they can run the table. And if you're 14-3, and three, you're probably the one seed. So, shout out Trevor Lawrence, who, as much shit as he got earlier in the year, is currently leading a team in place to maybe get the one seed. So, good for him. Buccaneers 20, Colts 27. The Colts, 6-5, and five, a playoff team if the season ended today. I think that Shane Steichen has already probably done enough. Okay, if they lose every game the rest of the way, he hasn't. He's done enough to warrant coach of the year to this point. And I think if the Colts end up making the playoffs with Gardner Minshew, then yeah. Offensive line still has good infrastructure there. Richardson being in here next year is going to be exciting because he's going to have a full offseason of work. And I think the Colts, depending on how the Jags finish, could be a trendy playoff team next year, regardless of how the rest of this season unfolds. The Shaq Leonard story of him getting cut and getting blind, that is, it's one of the strangest like star players to out of the league. I think he'll get picked up but out of the league that I've ever seen. And they're still winning regardless. Buccaneers, season's probably over. Baker, in the same way as a uh, as Sam Howell, has probably done enough to rebuild his value to continue to be a quarterback in the NFL. I think it, just because they've already won enough games that their quarterback position is, funk- is funky, I think that Baker's probably going to start going into next year, which was my main question a few weeks ago as he was still playing well. I think he's probably going to start and they're probably going to draft someone is the most likely outcome. But if you go into next season with Baker and then 
some reworking on the offensive line and on both lines, really. I think you could do worse than Baker. Pat 7, Giants 10 in the toilet bowl. The Pats are now the second worst draft, have the second worst record behind the Panthers. And it's just a matter if they can make up the ground on the Panthers now that Frank the Tank Reich is gone. I think if they land at two, they're going to take one of the QBs, but it's something that I have seen brewing where people are genuinely afraid that old man Belichick, if he is still in a position to do so, might trade down and draft Harrison, like trade down to pick and gather assets. When Mac Jones, again, benched, against the Giants, whose defense is probably the only redeeming quality about the team, but he's not the guy. And it's one of those decisions going into the game that they keep starting him. It reflects Belichick's age and him losing a step, where years ago, I don't think he would have put up with this to this point. Now, it's a problem that they're so bereft at talent at the quarterback position where he doesn't really have a choice, but... When there's guys like Tommy DeVito, who looks okay, lying around and you keep starting Mac Jones and he was still the plan coming into this year, you don't really have an excuse. I I think as much smoke as there's been about it, I'm so skeptical that Kraft would just tell Belichick to leave and let him go sign with someone like the Chargers to play out the rest of his career. I think Bill's going to stay there as long as he wants. But if he doesn't, he, they might be in a better position. On the other side, I hope that Dable doesn't isn't accused of being on the hot seat. He's still really good to win this game, even as your team sucks. Probably a mistake in the long run. They also need a QB. And starting next year with Daniel Jones is going to be... It's going to be some of the worst that I've felt for a sports franchise I don't root for. But they might win a couple more games, which, again, will feel worse, but... Did you see the the DeVito, like, Italian hand? The family and everything was there. I saw that, too. But, yeah. He's so aggressively Italian. He really is. And I think the they're like, what do you call it? And he's like, the... Yeah. And it's just so perfect. I don't know if it was the lighting. Also, good-looking dude. Gotta say. Rams 37, Cardinals 14. Rest of the way, it's just is Stafford healthy enough to make a playoff push? And on the other side, does Kyler start the season next year? They they won the one game when he came back, and he's looked like Kyler for the most part. Still working his way back. They don't have a lot of skill position players that are worth talking about. Michael Wilson's okay. James Conner is the wily running back. But I think they are the prime Marvin Harrison team. I think they're going to be who he ends up on just because everyone else needs a QB and the Cardinals are the ones most likely with their already paid franchise, quote-unquote, franchise quarterback that they're just going to take Harrison and continue to play out the string and hope that their new and so far good coaching staff is, is enough to elevate next year. And then, I mean, the Rams looked really good. Stafford's been so banged up, but and Cup is theoretically going to miss some time to him. He's been banged up. If they are healthy, they're one of the teams that can make a push, but 
they actually have their first rounder this year, so I might encourage them not to. Browns 12, Broncos 29. Scoragami, baby. Scoragami. <laughs> um, DTR gets hurt during this game. Is I, I wonder if Stefanski survives the season if they miss the playoffs because he was getting flack earlier in the year and with Watson sucking towards the end of last year that if they do not make the playoffs, I think, again, 7 to 10 is so many coaches, and he, I don't think Schefter's just saying that to say that. I think Stefanski has real pressure on him with how Watson looked earlier in the year that he's catching some blame from it, at least from ownership. And I think Russ is back. Like, it, not, not prime time in the Super Bowl, Russ, but he looks kind of how he did right before he left the Seahawks, where they were raising their eyebrows and with his uh, weirdness off the field and in, like, reportedly in the locker room and his, uh, and his abrasiveness towards teammates, that I, I think this is kind of what they bargained for. And Sean Payton keeping this team together and them not quitting after starting so terribly, credit to the Broncos. Uh, Chiefs 31, Raiders 17. This was so weird. Uh, the Raiders were up 14-0, and then the final score kind of looks correct. Antonio Pierce probably isn't going to lose that interim tag before the end of the year, A, because Mark Davis is cheap and doesn't want to pay uh, anyone prematurely anymore, clearly. And then Aiden O'Connell, boiler up, looks good enough that, I mean, could they go into next year starting Garoppolo again? I guess, but he seems like the kind of guy that they're going to either cut or try and trade for nothing to get off the money. And then as a bridge quarterback, you could do a lot worse than O'Connell. He reminds me of Davis Mills. I think it's kind of the same deal as what he was for the Texans. I don't think this Chiefs offense is capable of winning four straight playoff games where they started so slow, and then they, they're beating up on the Ravers' secondary because it's bad. But if you go down 14 nothing to even the Jaguars, like, good luck with, with Rasheed Rice. Who's good but Rasheed Rice, MVS, and I think hobbled Kelsey. Like, he's definitely slower. He's old for a tight end, 34. Is not, he's not the same, uh, the same athlete that he was, but he's close enough that I, I wonder if he's hurt. Bills 34, Eagles 37. Brutal, brutal. I, I sincerely thought Hurts was worse than Allen for like 80% of this game. And that said, there was a point where three of four consecutive passes by Hurts were touchdowns, which he threw a good ball, but it's also a reflection of how good Devontae Smith, who made a, a spinning catch in the air, and A.J. Brown are, where... And then Hertz obviously did himself a lot on the ground, which is a reflection of his ability. But they played like an 80% game, and they won. And I'm just, I'd be worried if I was the rest of the league, because if they start putting together 100% games, they're going to win the whole thing. But if they, they're not doing it yet, you kind of wonder that this is just them, and there's always going to be those mistakes. And if you if you play an 85% game against a wild card team that's fine but if you play it against an actual other nfc contender 
contender, even someone like the Lions, where they might just outscore you and then you're home. Uh, Josh Allen deserves zero flack for this game. Yes, he leads the league in picks, but he looked like the best quarterback in the world today. And if Gabe Davis just turns the right way on that final overtime drive, they win. And we're not talking about this. Same, it's the same deal as Jake Elliott hitting that kick that these one sliding doors things completely changes maybe the Bills' entire season with them currently being in the 10 seed, whereas if they had won, they would be in the playoffs. I, I would pick the Bills over a lot of the AFC. I would probably put them third just based off the heights that I saw in this game. But if they don't make it, they don't make it. I think they have the chance of going far in the playoffs if they can stay they healthy and play like they just did every single game for the rest of the season. Their defense has been so beat up, and that's obviously reflected in giving up 37. But I, Allen can do it. I think he's that good. I think he's good enough to take them all the way if they get there. Uh, finally, Ravens 20, Chargers 10. I'm concerned that Staley still has a job because I think it's bad for his mental health. Um, I'm never going to... Okay, not never. There are things to make me give up on Herbert, I'm sure. If it comes out next week that he, like, is best friends with Josh Giddy, I, I would give up on Herbert. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. If I saw that, I would give up. But until then, I'm never going to blame him. Please just get him a head coach. It's why I would like Be Belichick to the Chargers, just because I want someone that I know has a has a past record of good coaching. I really wish that Sean Payton was there right now because my boy deserves better. And then the, the Ravens only putting up 20 on this doo-doo defense makes me concerned that without Andrews, kind of similar to the Chiefs, they have enough there where if things break right, they could come out of the AFC. But I just, I am concerned that without Andrews as, as, the, as the number one in that offense, Zay Flowers was really good. I agree with Lamar. His celebration was ass. But without without Andrew, you got to put up more than 20 on the Chargers. So I think if you asked me today who I think is going to be in the AFC Championship game, I would – I think the Jags can get the one seed, and I think that might make all the difference, and it could end up being Jags-Chiefs or even a Jags-Bills. I just – I'm skeptical of the Ravens. And I need to see Lamar do it before I'm willing to admit that he's going to be the guy to win a Super Bowl for that team. We will be right back. All right, coming back, starting with a notebook dump from some of the games on Monday night. Uh, Lakers, Philly in Philly, Lakers get the doors blown off them, 94-138. couple of small things. Uh, Jalen Hutchifino, who the Lakers drafted as a guard in the first round this year, in 11 minutes, he hasn't played this year so far, and he did not score his first NBA point last night. On Twitter, it was funny where Lakers fans were like, holy shit, it's a they actually are letting him play. There's... He clearly has some amount of comfort bringing up the ball, and I only bring this up. I bring up this random scrub first-rounder who hasn't even played up to this point. It's because he was able to actually bring the ball up with some amount of comfort, which is something that Reeves can do. 
but and he was doing during this game but outside of him and somewhat D'Angelo Russell it's primarily LeBron and having a guy like Butchifino who can uh, who can just calm down the offense in the absence of LeBron is necessary at this point in his career where like the the minute limit that they were putting on him early in the season is clearly BS to this point so if you want to actually kind try and shade towards that 30 minute mark for LeBron every game you need to have a guy like coach Shafino who has some amount of ball handling skill and is good at getting the rest of the players into the offense like that's nothing new the Grizzlies brought up a G League guy to start for them for the exact same reason where it's a guy who can dribble and get plays started so Having someone like him playing more minutes might be prescient. I don't know. Even if I'm wrong, he looked like he could play a little. Uh, the Sixers beating the hell out of them was obviously surprising, but they might just be this good. Tyrese brings way more off-ball juice than Harden, at least Harden has ever had, maybe. It's since Hoke AC, certainly, where in the Houston days, Harden was as dominant an on-ball presence as there has ever been. He is probably one of the 30 to 40 greatest players to ever live. But in the context of this offense with Joel Embiid and how Harden plays at this point in his career, where it's clear he's not going to change either, having Maxi, who, credit to his defense too, while he's a little small, he, he fights it's just carrying that much of an offensive load is always going to be a burden on smaller guys that are scoring to the degree he is. He he is, I, I've already said it before, he's a better fit. And in games like this against teams that are supposed to be contenders, it shows where if he is hitting shots coming off of curls or these pin downs where he catches it, fires, and looks as confident as anyone this kind of result isn't all that surprising. On the Lakers' side, it's kind of disappointing how much they need a guy like Cam Riddish to cover guys like Maxie, a guy who is is averaging seven points a game and shooting below league average on three, and is Cam Riddish. He's been playing solid enough defense and has the first positive point differential of his career because of that defense, but I'm not saying anything enlightening here if you rely that heavily on cam freaking reddish what are you doing and it it was evident they had no perimeter defense to speak of guys like uh i think it was marcus morris and covington were going off like without it's one of the the key mantras of roster building without perimeter defense and shooting you're not going anywhere and if you rely on below average shooters who play good defense to be a staple of your rotation because you have nothing else and Reeves is still struggling. They are in a tough spot. Even struggling, Reeves hasn't stopped fighting. Like, he smoked a turnaround against Morris straight off front rim and went straight into Morris's chest and got a loose ball foul. So, credit to him. More credit to him than Anthony Davis, who, even during the broadcast, it was kind of funny because they showed AD's last six games, and it was really good numbers, were like 23, 10, and 4, two blocks, and he's still playing Anthony Davis defense. But even as these great stats were out there, like, eh, they're just, Darvin Ham's trying to keep, keep him more engaged. 
he's almost he's almost exiting his prime at this point age-wise like he's still in it but what are we to expect anything greater from ad at this point bubble anthony davis was outstanding and he was probably i will say the best player on a title team only so many players in history can say that he's probably in the top 60 give or take but like what are we doing what are we doing trying to convince ourselves that davis is going to be anything different and when he's not results like this are just going to keep happening the game i was most excited for wizards pistons the pistons lose at home 126 107 a few things I'm scared that K just doesn't have it. He put up good stats in this game, but he lacks lateral athleticism to be a great defender already, and so when he's not a dominant, efficient scorer and distributor on that, and there is still time, he is in his third year. I'm not going to, like, bury him yet, but it, there are certain things that keep you on the floor and raise your floor as an NBA player, athleticism being one of them, where if you're a hyper-athlete, think of a guy like Gerald Green, where he sticks in the in the league for a decade just because he can run and jump and shoot. That's all he could do. He was like sort of good on defense, but not really. He could just recover really fast even if he was bad. Cade does not have that benefit of the physical doubt. So even though he puts up games like last night where it's 30, 10, and 6, if you aren't really efficient and you lack that defensive baseline, it's hard for you to be a star player. If you're not like Houston Harden where everything can run through you and you can be a dominant on-ball threat. Credit to, I guess credit to Monty Williams. No credit because they've lost 14 games in a row, uh, but... He started to release Jaden Ivey from the Gulag, Boiler Up. And I thought Ivey looked really good as a as a distributor last night. And it was something that they were pointing out. He made some good passes. It wasn't straight to the hip pocket on everything, but he was making good reads. And I think he's been a lot better of a distributor as Monty has actually allowed him to play some minutes. He's been way more efficient from the field this year. His field goal percentage coming into last night was above 52%, beside, uh, despite shooting actually worse from three than he was last year. So the shot profile is improving, and he has maintained the same athleticism. He's shooting well at the rim. And if he can build this like distributing package, I he should, he was it was already a disgrace that Killian Hayes was starting over him, but... Ivy has shown real growth, and that is encouraging if you're a Pistons fan, despite losing 14 games in a row. I looked it up. Do you know what the longest losing streak in NBA history is, Raven? I would say maybe 16 It's 28, games. which is long. Okay. That is tw- double of what the Pistons it's, are at right now. It is. But that I don't think still it's still is shocking. Possible. I don't think so the, either. Okay, looking at the technical longest streak ever was between two seasons because it was when the Sixers were in the, the process area where in 14-15 they went 18-64 and 64, and in 15-16 was the 10-72 and 72 season when they got Ben Simmons. And between those two seasons, they lost 10 to end and lost 18 to open the next season. Before that, 
it was a tie between the 2013 Sixers at 26 and the 2010 Cavaliers at 26. So, I those are obviously more depressing. Don't get it twisted. To lose that many games in a row would be unthinkable. But, you know, they were supposed to be better now. Let's look at the next few games that they have. Pistons-Lakers at home. They're not going to win. Pistons at Knicks. Come on. Cavs at Pistons. Come on. Pacers at Pistons. The Pacers are going to put up 170 points. Sixers at Pistons. Pistons at Sixers. Pistons at Bucks. Pistons at Hawks. The next game that I would like feel okay being like, oh, they're going to break the streak. December 21st against the Jazz at home. Even then, the Jazz won last night. They're not that bad. Pistons at Nets, Nets at Pistons. I look at every team on here, and I'm like, oh, they're way better. And so the first team I see that it's not, oh, yeah, they're almost like 80% to lose is the Spurs. And that would be in 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, 11, 13, 15, 17, 19 games from now. So, if we get to the new year and they still haven't won a game, I think they might break the record. I think the team has too much inherent talent on it. Uh, just looking at some of their uh, looking at some of their trade at sets, Alec Burks is currently tenth in the NBA in bench points. He's been surprisingly good for a long time. Uh, they have Isaiah Stewart, and then Bogdanovich is hurt, but once he's healthy, they still have Mar- Marvin Bagley to trade. These guys are not and then like Asar Thompson there's there was a clip where Poole shook his defender and then had an open midi and decided to lean in and go for like a scoop layup and Asar Thompson became his legal guardian blocking the hell out of it like they have players that do stuff like that and Asar is one of the three most impressive rookies this year the fact that they've lost 14 straight to this point is already unimaginable I could see another 14 also, the Wizards are hilariously bad, too, but at least they have Kuzma and Poole, although Poole's... Poole is turning into, like, evolutionary Dion Waiters. At least he has a ring. Good for him. Blazers beat Pacers 114-110. to 110. It was strange to see... The Blazers are actually okay on defense. Holding the Pacers to 110 is pretty good. They were middle of the pack, 16th going into the game, but dead last on offensive rating. And, I mean, it, it shows. Scoot, to this point in the year, has been actually a, a pretty good defender. He has a plus uh, three defensive estimated plus minus per dunks and threes. And his main pre-draft comp was Westbrook. And we have to be fair because he's only played eight games. But to this point, Scoot's shooting has actually been better at the rim than Russ, which is where he should belong. Over the last two games, I know the game prior to this one, he went three for four from three. And I, I just I think his hands finish close on his jumper. I don't think it's that clean. He is so much better with his athleticism getting to the rim as much as possible. But he's playing good enough defense at the point of attack as a rookie to be encouraged. And if the rest of his game comes along, Westbrook's not unreasonable. He just has to stop settling for those damn jumpers. They also have a, a second-year guy, Jabari Walker, just speaking to their defense. Jabari Walker, like... 
second year guy drafted in the late second round last year, averaging eight points. He was a fun defense rebounding guy. So they have a few, they have a few cats who can defend. Jeremy Grant's always been a good defender. And it showed, I mean, beating the Pacers when they've been this hot so far and holding them to, frankly, under 120 is is pretty impressive for a team as young as this one. And they've won, what, four or five? Which, their record's still terrible. But, man, again, even the bad teams aren't that bad, which is just makes the Pistons all that much more impressive. For the Pacers, Benedict Matherin, he's been playing slightly less than last year and is best off... He'll replace them in the starting lineup, and it's probably for the best. Just on the peripherals, Matherin's three-point percentage has actually gone up a bit, and his turnover percentage has gone down, and he's only playing like three less minutes. The defense and him being a worse fit with Halliburton than Heald is the main concern at the moment, where they're already so bad on defense that if you're starting Matherin next to uh, next to Halley, you're... You're just asking for trouble, whereas Heald's also a bad defender, but at least he's a better bet to just catch. Whether it's on a kick out or it's a designed, you know, horns concept, like having him come off of pin downs and back screens. Matherin's just not good enough at that yet. Although I think he has so much more on ball juice and athleticism that if the defense gets better, he's just gonna be starting later in the season. I think it's it's possible, but he's been he's been shaky enough that he was the guy that if he busted out, I would believe in this Pacers team more than I currently do. Uh, the daily Halliburton uh, swoon fest. Two uh, Raven, I'm, I'm gonna give you two guys. Uh, one of them is Tyrese Halliburton, and one of them is Steve Nash in his first MVP season. Uh, the first one, 25.9 points per game, 11.9 assists per game, 52-46-92 shooting splits. And the other one is 16.3 points per game, 11.1 assists per game, and 56-44-86. I think the second this. one's Nash. Now, God, Nash's team was the seven second Suns, who were better. They were just so much faster. I would, I would not say had, that. They had the, so many. The more. Pacers are first in the league in pace too. It's a, it's a That's lot of the same true. stuff. And Carlisle is a good enough coach that I'm willing to give him enough credit for it that this is intentional. I, I'm not saying he's an MVP candidate, but if the All Star game was today, I think he would start. And he's kind of taking that Shea Gilgis Alexander leap, where last year. Shea gets first team after full season of us going, it's like, is he really this good? And then 80 games later, he was still that good. That might just be Halliburton. And I think we already knew he was going to be better than Sabonis, but now that gap is getting wider and wider. Uh, back to the Blazers. Uh, Shaden Sharp, couple notes. Shaden Sharp shoots the sexiest under 40% from the field ever. The way he moves in the air is crazy. He's just so crazy inefficient and doesn't play defense. The The funniest thing out of, I like all these unserious bad teams have something funny about it. Watching the Wizards and Pistons play has a certain amount of schadenfreude that all of us can appreciate to a certain degree. But Aiton has a lower usage percentage than he did in Portland or than he did in Phoenix after all the uh, the belly aching to that effect 
And he looked so unsure. There was a play last night where he called for a post-up against Miles Turner, a good defender, mind you. Calls for a post-up, but then as he's getting the entry pass, he gets pushed so far out into the perimeter that it becomes a dribble handoff. Where, But it's not like a normal one because he gets the ball, but he's been shoved out so far that he drops it like a little kid that's never held a puppy before. And he holds it and it starts squirming and he's like, oh shit. And I think he looks even more discombobulated than he did in in Phoenix. And maybe it's because he's not playing with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. I think the Suns would be better off with him than the the men bench pieces and Yusuf Nurkic than they currently have. But Aiton has not done much to improve his career at this point. He's still, I think, a good defender, but he is no more involved on offense, and I think it's getting, like, he's going to, is he any more valuable than Nurkic at this point? I would say no if it wasn't for the defense. Nuggets Clippers. Nuggets beat the Clippers 113-104 without their three best players being Jokic, obviously, and then Murray and Aaron Gordon. You can split hairs between Gordon and MPJ. The Nuggets are now 6-5 and five since the Murray injury, this obviously being the most impressive win of those. I'm kind of unconcerned about the Nuggets' record while Murray is out and while a Gordon is out. Even more so with Jokic out, as long as it's not a significant injury. He had lower back tightness. I mean, there's not much you can do about that. But to come into this game with all the concerns that they've had over their depth, your Christian Bronze, your Michael Porter Juniors, MPJ not playing that well, really, but holding up as an individual defender. Reggie Jackson going off. It it quieted some of my concerns, where Reggie being that go-to six-man scorer off the bench. I got he I think he just broke we were talking about it. He broke 10,000 career points last night. Like he's always been this guy, but if he can be efficient, not necessarily to this degree where he's scoring almost 30 in Jokic's absence, but it did, it did make me feel a little better. I don't know if it's more on the Nuggets be, having better depth than I thought and or the Clippers just being a disaster. Uh, Paul George is averaging over 28 over his last seven now. And yeah, Harden still is coming up the works. Kawhi scored 31, I believe, last night. But I just, with how Covington and Morris and and Nick Batum have been valuable for for the Sixers. Coming into the, not this season, but the last one, I read a lot and I saw a lot about how just, how balanced and loaded this Clippers roster was. And that's why some people picked them last year. And they came in with literally the same result. And like I was talking about earlier, NFL teams, NBA teams, baseball teams, it doesn't matter. Healthy teams oftentimes are the ones that went out. Talent matters, but healthy talent matters more. If the Clippers had ridden out the season and these guys were able to play, they might have been better off just playing out the string because maybe the construction as it previously was just hits better this year than it did last. Harden's making it worse. You didn't have to trade for him. (laughs) He wanted to go to you and you alone, and all told for a guy of Harden's caliber, you didn't have to give up that much. But those guys, those three wing pieces, better served on this team. And 
I think the Sixers got better and the Clippers got worse. As I know Harden wasn't playing for the Sixers, but all told, it, it's not Gobert-esque because they didn't give up as much value, but it's pretty damn bad. And then finally, so the last, the last round of in-season tournament group play is tonight. And there's a few games that might matter. I've been trying really hard to understand this because, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of sports that have a lot of group play. So it's harder for me to get my head around. But I do think that the biggest game tonight, from what I can tell, the Timberwolves are currently second in their group, which also in, they're two and one, and the Kings are three and zero. Oh. The Kings and the Warriors are playing tonight. The Warriors are also two and one in their group, so they like the Timberwolves need Golden State to win by a little, and then the Timberwolves need to beat the Thunder by a lot. Because right now, Minnesota also is eight points worse in point differential. So they need to beat the the Thunder. They need to beat the doors off the Thunder while the Warriors barely win against the Kings. I think they could still get a wild card, which is the, uh, was it, the most wins and the highest scoring out of the, out of the rest of the teams that weren't the leaders of their groups. I'm, al- I'm also justifying this because last week we did our in-season tournament picks and it would be bad if Minnesota just didn't make it (laughs) and then around the rest of it uh Indy's already won their group shouts to them they have a plus 39 point differential in their group play uh Milwaukee quieted some concerns their defense is still bad they almost lost to the Blazers Giannis needs to stay healthy for them to play defense at the start middle or beginning of games or start middle or end rather the Magic uh, look like they're going to win their group. They are playing... They're not playing tonight. They've already played all four of their games. And Boston is playing Chicago. And I think... I think the only way that Boston overtakes them is if they beat the Bulls by 23 or more. Now, that is unfortunately quite possible. Fun fact, Bulls, 0-3 in their group. But... I... Th- I think the biggest game tonight then is going to be Boston Chicago. And it's kind of cool because I, and like Raven, you can refute this if, if you want, like, I feel like this has definitely brought more attention to the NBA than we usually get this time of year. Oh, a hundred percent. Like I feel like you wouldn't be getting this kind of coverage or just excitement about the NBA until like all-star week. But even then, like that was totally different kind of excitement about it you know where this is i feel like a it's exciting because it's new so people are just excited to see something that's they haven't seen before in a sports league that's been around for what 70 years Mm -hmm. i think once they kind of iron out some of the problems that have been seen this year it, it does have the opportunity to become something yearly that does bring more excitement during this time and then kind of allows the holidays to go through and then, you know, the end of the football season, they'll shine through and take most of the viewers for that time. But mm-hmm. after that, then it's specifically NBA time. So It's also super cool because 
it just adds value to these regular season games that we would not care about as much anymore. So like going through, the Celtics need to beat the Bulls by by 23. So they need to try in a way that they would not before. The was it the Rockets can win their group, I believe, if they beat the Mavericks tonight by more than 17. Unlikely against the Mavs because they're probably just going to score enough. But if they if they beat them by enough, they win their group outright. Minnesota needs to win by quite a bit, and they need something else to happen. It just adds stakes. The I think the Knicks need to beat the Hornets, and like, yeah, I think if the Knicks beat the Hornets by a bit, and then Milwaukee loses to the Heat, they have an outside chance of winning their group too. It's just stuff that you wouldn't have considered it. And, and I really like that. I think and so. I think that and credit it gives more. Boys do. What's it called? Uh, kind of like um. God, I can't think of the word. Uh, just like pizzazz to the season. Like, there's a lot of things that you know in the wild card. It, it'll come down to like maybe two games depending on each other. But this is like there's so much that could happen just depending on you know like if the Bucks lose and. Mm-hmm. The Knicks win. Well, that that could mean someone's in in a different group. Like, I think that is what makes this super super interesting and will bring fans back. Just because it does have a lot of feelings of like a Champions League style. Yeah, exactly. So I really do hope they kind of even something as like maybe they travel for some of these games, go to a place that they don't play basketball normally. Mm-hmm. That might be a cool thing they could do with it too. Like I know the final, the semifinals are in Vegas, but you know maybe have like one of these playing games in like Canada or Mexico or something like that. Where have a Mexico City game yeah. that actually has that kind of stakes? Yeah, sure. Or a London game? Yeah. No, I got you. Moving to uh, to wrap up here, a few players and teams. We just got done with Thanksgiving. Raven, how was your Thanksgiving? It was very nice. Nice time seeing family to the same effect uh, a few players and teams that we've been thankful for and then uh, a few teams and players that we are not excited for come Christmas where at least I don't know how it is for your family but I definitely think I see more of my extended family around Christmas time than I do around Thanksgiving and so for those of us who are not excited to uh, to do that few uh, players and teams that are going to be scary relatives. Uh, a few that we're thankful for, Darius Garland, who beat the Sixers pretty much by himself and has been a godsend in the absence of Donovan Mitchell. I, He's one of those guards that definitely gets credit from people who watch the Cavs and people who care about the league, but I think it goes understated just how good he is and how necessary he is for Cleveland to even operate under a lot of circumstances down the stretch against the Sixers the other night I you have no idea how they're going to score half the time it's just Garland drawing as much of the defense as he can and hitting uh hitting Allen or Evan Mobley on a duck in and sometimes that's their entire offense or him hitting Strew straight in the shooting pocket coming out around a screen he he probably is more valuable. I don't think that he's better than Mitchell necessarily. I think he's more valuable than the Cavs than Mitchell has been to this point. Kevin Durant has been way too good for his age. 
and the Suns are committing elder abuse by making him play 36 minutes a game. He has not played that high volume of minutes and this like volume of games where if he plays the full season at 70 games at 36 minutes a game, good luck. Torn Achilles, torn ACL, all that. Good luck. You brought in Beal, you brought in Booker. You are supposedly have guys that are able to carry the load and let Durant kind of like they want to for LeBron to give him time off and to have a functional offense in the absence of your best player. But, I mean, like, Yuta Watanabe can shoot and Keita Bates-Diops is there. Eric Gordon is weirdly good on ball again just because they need him to be, whereas in Houston he was, I mean, sometimes a secondary ball handler, but he has had to do way more than you would want Eric Gordon. Also elder abuse to be doing. I'm personally thankful for Jordan Poole as well. I just love the disaster. He's under 30% from three, and he takes some of those wild Trey Young shots that it's bad when he takes them. It's bad when Trey takes them and he averages like 27 points a game. When you're Jordan Poole, it looks even worse. And he had him and uh, Raymond Felton have all time I just slept with your girl face where <laughs> the the nasty little scruffy beard and I mean the clip of him ignoring the play and just how he he has the Julius Randle reactions when he doesn't get the ball on offense. On the other end of the spectrum, shout out Hawkins Jr. He has been unnaturally comfortable in the absence of guys like Tyler Hero and Caleb Martin. He's averaging 11-4-2. And, and honestly, with a, I, he was a good player coming out of college, but he was not a 50-40-82 guy. So for him to come in, play solid wing defense, and then shoot really well... He's kind of like how Caleb Martin was in the playoffs last year. So, shouts to him. He has been very important for them and probably their fourth best player, third best player as a rookie behind Jimmy Bam and Hero. He's been better than Martin, for sure. Scotty Barnes, he's looking like the guy that we thought he was in his first year. He's been wildly more efficient than he was last year shooting above average from three, which is kind of the biggest deal for a guy that we thought had a hitchy jumper. It's most efficient season of his career, and he looks like a franchise leader. If he can scale up to the mid-20s points per game and maintain maintain the same efficiency. Some scary relatives. I just put name a bull. They, oh my God, they blew a disgusting game against the Nets where they were up by, I believe, 19 in the first quarter. I hate you. Uh, Vucevic has the lowest points per shot attempt per cleaning the glass of any player over 600 minutes this season. And he's second for everyone over 500 minutes behind only Aaron Gordon. Levine is just openly being shopped like a white elephant that nobody wants. Alex Caruso should get two first rounders, but it's a depressing state of affairs. Uh, Wemby has just been inefficient, where right now I think it's pretty easy to say that Chet's the rookie of the year. I wouldn't say that he's been in any way disappointing just because of his dominance on defense, but I did want to shine attention to the fact that the Spurs are very bad. 
And while I would pick them over the Pistons, it's the only time that I would say that they're almost as poor. Wizards too, but like I would rather have Kuzma than anyone on this roster besides maybe Wemby and Vassell. Evan Mobley, I talked about it a, li- a bit with Garland. There was some hope that he was going to be like a Kevin Garnett type guy. And in much the same, I have to do the same thing that I, I said for quarterbacks, where if you haven't shown offensive growth, like he, he's terrified to shoot threes. He's never going to be that guy. He's a really good passer and an amazing defender already, despite being, I believe, still 21, if not 22. But he does not have, he can put it on the floor a bit, but he's not a creator. He, not even to the degree of like a Wemby where a lot of that's just confidence. It's not that Mobley's not talented. It's just, especially with Mitchell out and where he would be able to step into a larger role, he's just not confident in his on-ball abilities enough to to really be a mid-20s points per game guy. He's going to be immensely valuable for his defense and his passing and rebounding. His rebounding has only improved, so he's not like a Jaron Jackson. He actually bangs down low. I... I've kind of lost hope that he's ever going to be that on-ball creator. Would I still want him on my team? Duh. But he is not what some people hoped he would be coming out of SC. And then I I talked about it a bit earlier. AD, a lot of the same things. We can't expect him to change at this point. A few scary teams before we get to the bets of the week. Uh, Memphis, they really miss... Uh, John Morant. You know what? Honestly, I would rather have like a free jaw t-shirt than the free Harbaugh (laughs) t-shirts. I was just thinking about that watching Michigan OSU that like it's not that John didn't do anything wrong, but like seriously, dude. It's also just, I think it's, it's different with that city too because that is the culture there, like just kind of is. So well, that set that aside. I, I've I've always been against the degree, the the measures that the Lee has taken with Ja versus other players that I will get to in a second. But it's 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 just infuriating to see people be sanctimonious about Ja. But then oftentimes the exact same people are like, what did Harbaugh do wrong? He actually affected the game, whereas, you know, Jaw is just... Was being a, an idiot in he's his being car. A dumb, he's being a dumb kid. In his like, car. So let's ruin the Grizzly season, but, you know, Michigan has to play one game, important game without their head coach. Yeah. Fine. And they won. Great. Uh, Lamella got hurt, fractured his ankle. He was playing the best ball of his career, so that just was disappointing in of itself. Charlotte deserves it. Lamelo doesn't. I'm kind of disappointed he signed he signed that extension because he wouldn't be on someone like the Warriors who could have drafted him. But I would be a lot happier seeing a star like that somewhere where he can actually succeed and where he doesn't have to play with domestic abusers. Uh, and then finally, the Pelicans lost to the Jazz last night. Zion, he's showing a lot of the same stuff where he can still be that on-ball offensive weapon. I think he's lost half of something in his athleticism with everything that's been piling up over the last few years. And I 
honestly don't think that Brandon Ingram belongs on the same team as him. So shout out Jordan Hawkins. Shout out the rest of that roster that they've built really well. I just think that you need to package Ingram and some of those picks that you got. They still have some of the Bucks picks from the Drew Holiday trade too and some swaps. They are a team that I think needs to aggressively target whoever the next unhappy star is. Finally, some bad bets. The bets of the week. Raven beat me again. Let's go. I hate you. So it was, I got the Packers right. And then the Commanders decided to lose by 35. And the Seahawks decided to lose by 18. So not that I'm surprised. It's just always disappointing. This Thursday, we have Seahawks, Cowboys, I've put down the DK Metcalf over under 59 and a half receiving yards. Raven, which way are you going? I think he gets the over. Cool. I'm happy to he's on my fantasy team and he's been disappointing enough. He's had one or two block games and it's DK Metcalf. So I kind of feel the same way where if it's like how I kind of feel about Devontae Adams, that I think he's going to really blow up for the rest of the year. It could happen, but with how things have been to this point in the year, I'm comfortable, especially if he's being covered by like a Duran Bland, I could see him getting blanketed all, all game. Next Sunday, Broncos are underdogs on the road against the Texans, plus three and a half. The Texans obviously favored by three and a half. Raven, which way do you take? Do you like Stroud at home? I Or do you want the points? The three and a half is scary. The three and a half is really scary, but... I think Russ has done enough that I'll, I'll take the Broncos. Okay. Taking the Broncos points. Honestly, I agree where they've been good enough that... And the Texans already have a field goal game this year. And you know, the Broncos defense has been way better. I'm not Again, I'm not breaking any news that that 70-point game was misleading and they've been significantly improved. But... I think that this could end up being one of those one or two point games where honestly putting some respect to Russ over Stroud as much love as I give him, I might, I might trust like the vet coach and the vet QB there over Stroud and D'Amico Ryans. So I think that's fair. Finally, 49ers at Eagles game of the week. The over under is 46 and a half points. Eagles just scored 37, 49ers just scored 31, but both have good defenses. Raven, who do you want? I'm taking the Eagles. Why? Well, it's not who do you want. It's well, do you want the over-under on points. I still am. I'm, I'm, ta- I'm taking the Eagles, keep, and yeah. then I'm going to go under 40, 46 and a half. I okay. don't think – I think the defense of these two teams are going to kind of stand out this game. So, Yeah, I'm doing the different lines because – when we just do the points, it's always. Well, you just keep winning because <laughs> I'm gonna let you go first because I think that that's more fun, and it's funnier if I'm right. But doing this actually gives it a chance of like hitting. Yeah, where if we just kept doing points, you're gonna kick my ass every week. <laughs> uh, Raven, what do you have to going on the rest of the week? Uh, we are gonna be recording an F1 podcast today. That'll be out sometime later after this one. Uh, otherwise, I know there's going to be a few other episodes out on the Aletheia Network this week. Um, otherwise, I'll just be relaxing and getting back to work. Right on. 
So subscribe, rate, check out all the other podcasts on the Leafio Network. Go check out Raven's F1 podcast that he should be doing later today. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout out uh, all the family for Thanksgiving. Uh, shout out the dog. Shout out Raven for being back in town. Shout out the listeners. Shout out the listeners. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. All right. Have a good one, everybody. Mm-hmm.